Hey everyone, welcome to Reformed Podmatics, hosted by the pastors of Almond Valley Christian Reformed Church in Ripon, California. It's Pastor Mark Van Dyke and Pastor Zach Dewey, and this podcast exists to promote the vibrant, biblical, and historically informed face of Reformed theology, both in our context and beyond. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Reformed Podmatics, episode 47. I am Pastor Mark. And I am Pastor Zach. And uh, we thank you for joining us. Thank you for uh, being patient and waiting for this episode to drop. It's uh, been a very busy last several weeks for us here at Almond Valley and uh, for Zach and I in our own personal lives as well as both of us have taken vacation <laughs> And, we were busy uh, with vacation. Yeah, well, and even before vacation, there were various things happening in the yeah. church that required a lot of attention. Zach officiated a wedding, and yeah. um, there was a, a lot of visiting that I did leading up to my vacation to sort of take care of a few things. And so <laughs> here we are uh, back with Reformed Podmatics looking yeah. at today the uh, episode on beauty, on aesthetics, on why beauty should matter to a Christian. And um, this is probably not something on the forefront of our minds. It's not one of those culture war topics like critical race theory, for example, that we just talked about in our last episode. But uh, I would contend, actually, that we are extremely hunger for be- hungry for beauty and for what is aesthetically pleasing, yeah. whether that is in architecture or in art or in music or in... Um, food, um, all, all sorts of different good things that we could experience. And um, maybe sometimes we don't realize just how hungry hungry we are to experience what is truly beautiful in the world that God has made. So here we are going to talk about this issue of aesthetics. Um, aesthetics is kind of a philosophical word. Um, and uh, really what it points us to is the, uh, the desire to experience what is good, what is beautiful, what is kind of refreshing to our souls um, in the physical world in various ways. So yeah, how, how, what are some ways that you would add to that definition of aesthetics, Zach? Um, ooh, I don't know. I, <laughs> I, I think that's a fairly decent definition. There's maybe more that a philosopher of this yeah. sort of stuff could get at. Um, I think design beauty something that is intended to uh, penetrate not just your mind but to your heart yeah. it's supposed to to make you feel something pathos um, yeah. and so it's uh, aesthetics are yeah when I think of aesthetics I think of things that yeah refresh you that uh, you find enjoyment in just 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 at the, the sight or the the hearing um, so it's a very sensory sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, you can have aesthetics of food, even uh, the way that a combination of different flavors um, or of your... ideas with, with yeah. po- poetry, yeah. for example. Yeah, yeah. So aesthetics, poetry. You can have moral aesthetics, mm-hmm. um, which we might even jump into at some point here this in this episode. Um, but yeah, this is all something that for me has been uh, sort of cycling around in my head uh, ever since seminary I had a friend 
who I forget what year of seminary it was. It was probably around 2015, 2016. Uh, I was like a long time. Yeah, ago. <laughs> I know. The world was so innocent and yeah. pure back then. Um, I I had been reading uh, some of James K. A. Smith's works. Um, in particular, I, I was reading Desiring the Kingdom, um, his first book in the sort of trilogy of of uh, of liturgy and and cultural liturgies is what he would call it. Uh, but one of the things in that book was how things that humans make or do are not just things we as humans have an effect on, but those things also have a sort of reverse ef- effect on us as people. So one good example of this would be art in general. I'm not even sure if he talks about art. Um, I can't remember exactly. But I remember thinking, I always sort of thought of art as something that humans just made. When we A just project. made it for the joy of yep. it and we wanted to express something. And so that art expresses something. Uh, something that he talks about in that book is how these things that we as humans do also have a reverse effect on on us, on our souls, on our, on how we approach the world. Um, and so it was about the same time that I had a friend in seminary who was getting really interested in these sorts of conversations about aesthetics and beauty, particularly in architecture. And he was uh, listening to a lot of Sir Roger Scruton stuff, um, the philosopher, um, conservative philosopher, atheist as far as I know, mm-hmm. uh, but a, a Brit. Uh, and so he had me watch this documentary that, that Roger Scruton did um, on on beauty, particularly the beauty of architecture. So this has always been, been something that I, I've been thinking about ever since, about how architecture forms us and how it shapes our lives. Um, I always sort of thought of architecture as something completely indifferent i was sort of i didn't really care too much about it i didn't think it it really affected things Hmm. um but now i see that that was a little bit immature um i I think that the way that a house is built is going to have a pretty huge impact on the way a family relates and so it is important to to have a good house that is built well so that there are certain spaces for activities to happen um that's almost so so common sense to me now that I, I was surprised I wasn't seeing that sort of thing back then. And so the aesthetics of a house, the beauty of a house, and also the, the utility of a house, um, to me, I, I, it's, it's, it's pretty groundbreaking and how, how that, now I see that how that affects how we live. Mm-hmm. Um, I could even think of my office here at the church. My office is so, sort of segregated. And so mm-hmm. naturally that, that means that Often, if I don't go out of my office and nobody comes into my office, there are days where I won't see anyone. Um, <laughs> even though we're only 20 yeah, feet Yeah, even though we're, we're not that far o- apart. Yeah. Uh, whereas our secretary and Mark, their, their offices are sort of connected, so they, they will see each other. And those sorts mm-hmm. of things affect my daily routine, mm-hmm. for better or for worse. And so it just made me become more aware of how something as simple as architecture really does impact my my daily life oh yeah well architecture i mean we can really see this it's undeniable with restaurants yeah so would part of what makes a restaurant a really nice restaurant is the architecture is the Hmm. aesthetics of of that restaurant of coffee shop same thing yeah um starbucks 
definitely wants to achieve a certain aesthetic, mm-hmm. which, uh, which in, in my view is often more of a cold aesthetic. Mm-hmm. It's a, it's a, feels more mass produced to me yeah, often, um, yeah. than like more of a local coffee shop, a place mm-hmm. that you would go and hang out for a while. It, yeah. it, um, and so that the aesthetic determines the kind of experience that people will have mm-hmm. at a restaurant. Um, think of an extremely nice restaurant or a nice hotel compare Mm. that to a dumpy restaurant or a dumpy hotel and um there's uh there's there's a very clear qualitative Mm. difference in your experience of uh, of life in those spaces and so uh, given that we agree that i think we've demonstrated it this matters with home architecture it matters with offices it matters with restaurants hmm. certainly hmm. we could also say it matters with churches as well i think this is yeah. um where maybe we would get a little bit pokey with with some <laughs> uh, people who would maybe listen and attend what i would kind of call a big box church um, yeah a, a large square room with uh the aesthetics that are more driven towards a, more of a movie theater mm-hmm. um feel than a what I would consider to be a sacred or uh, aesthetically pleasing hmm. feel. So uh, that's sort of yeah. a debatable issue. Maybe we could get into that even in some other uh, uh, full podcast on church architecture. But hmm. um, for today's purposes, I think that we do want to just recognize that it is refreshing, it is invigorating it's good to be in aesthetically pleasing places to mm-hmm. behold aesthetically pleasing art, whether that is uh, through film or through uh, yeah. physical art, um, paintings, uh, sculptures, mm-hmm. um, architecture. Certainly, to in, in certain cases, can be considered art. Um, and so, I think this is right in line with the teaching of the Apostle Paul in Philippians four verse eight. That's yeah. one of the central verses that would encourage us to seek out what is good where paul says finally brothers whatever is true whatever is honorable whatever is just whatever is pure whatever is lovely whatever is commendable if there is any excellence if there is anything worthy of praise think about such things and um Hmm. that goes a little bit in line with something that i preached about recently with the uh, spiritual fruit of goodness Hmm. Um, so the fruit of the spirit is, of course, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, which has to do with how we relate to one another, and goodness, which is not just a kind of moral goodness or uprightness, holiness, mm-hmm. but loving what is good, um, yeah. loving what is, is beautiful, uh, loving to be out by a redwood tree, uh, mm-hmm. loving to be uh, at the the shore of the ocean to, to see the beautiful ocean with the sunset that God made. Um, I think that all that is encapsulated in this Philippians four verse eight command to seek out what is beautiful and good. Having properly ordered loves, lo- yeah. loving the things that you, what we ought to love as humans. Um, w- one thing that sticks out to me from this verse is that a lot of people today would deny that each of these values that Paul is saying here, is even attainable at all. So he says, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, people might say, well, that's, all of these things are just purely subjective here. Uh, what's true? You know, yeah. is there such thing as truth? Pontius the old, Pilate, the old Pilate, Pilate question, <laughs> uh, what is truth? Um, 
speak your truth is sort of the yeah it's, it's so common in our cultural vocabulary um or honorable well what's honorable to someone may not be honorable to someone else and so on so each of these things is sort of controversial in that sense but paul very simply seems to be inferring that there is such a thing as mm. truth and there is such a thing as something being honorable or just or pure pure all of these values are in some sense objective and you, we as humans should be able to discern whatever is true whatever is honorable whatever is just and so on um, if there's anything excellent so he he's saying there is such a thing as excellent discern it and and value that thing properly yeah. uh, and so this this goes to show i think that in some sense aesthetics are objective but this we could maybe get into this this whole question yeah, yeah. is beauty in particular objective the, the the famous question or famous statement that we've all heard i'm sure is that beauty is in the eyes of the beholder yeah. and so what's what's beautiful to some person may not be beautiful to the other person and this is true in some sense and not everything is is clear right away there is such a thing as taste yeah there is such a thing as taste and i i I can see the beauty for example in hardcore punk whereas (laughs) not many people can see it (laughs) that's an acquired Uh, taste but i can realize also as somebody who loves that that genre i can see how this isn't going to be uniquely beautiful for all people Um, and you could probably recognize objectively this is not as beautiful as moonlight sonata by yeah ex- exactly objectively i can recognize that yeah. um there's a reason why my mom wants to listen to to pretty music and not to what i grew up <laughs> listening to right um and that's not because she just doesn't get it uh it's because there's there's something objectively different mm-hmm. um and so this this debate is is long and ongoing um uh, and I think it's it was Plato who, in the ancient world, really advocated for the fact that there is such a thing as objective beauty. Plato, with his understanding of the of the Platonic forms as we know them today, yeah. he, he sort of thought there there is a standard of beauty to which every human thing on earth is is to the degree that it measures up to that to that form, it's it's beautiful. Um, and so he had this sort of understanding that things some things are just more beautiful to other than other things because they measure up to the form uh, a little bit better. Um, I'm, I tend to think a little bit more along these lines that there is something as as objective, um, in, in, in beauty. So like we've been saying with certain genres of music, it's quite clear. Um, I was just watching videos of Jordan Cooper and the Justin center podcast on his YouTube channel. And he has a discussion about this, and I, I thought it was interesting that he pulled in a video of this, uh, I think he said it was a Japanese experimental drummer. <laughs> and if you looked it up, you could probably find this guy. He has a single snare drum, it looks like, a couple of sticks, and he's banging his head onto the snare drum and dragging the snare drum around a table while he's smacking his sticks just... Like Random. in a tam- like a tantrum, essentially. And it's just thrashing. There's hair going everywhere because he's got long metal hair, you know. Yeah. And then he plays... So he plays a clip of that, and then he juxtaposes that clip with a clip of a of a men's choir singing in a medieval uh, hymn. And... <laughs> it's kind of a dramatic... I think it's, it's a dramatic <laughs> juxtaposition, yeah. but it's quite clear 
something resonates yeah. with humans and it's not just our culture this is something we could also maybe think about does our culture inform what we think of as beautiful to a to a degree yes it certainly does um what's beautiful to one culture may not be a beautiful to yeah. another culture but i think mm-hmm. if you were to fly down to south america and you were to uh find a tribe of indigenous people there who are totally unfamiliar with the western world and you were to show them these two clips well mm. a their mind would be blown that there is such a thing as <laughs> a, video. A, d- a device that you could show a video on but yeah. let's say they get over that part they'll be able to recognize this is something better than this experimental drummer mm. guy having a tantrum mm-hmm. yeah there's um a famous episode of the tonight show with johnny carson that uh during my ethics education at uh calvin theological seminary professor van Rieken would remind us of that episode where vincent price who is sort of famous for i don't know suspense movies um, things like that he has a great voice and does a lot of voiceover things hmm. And he was just on the show, and he was known as sort of an art critic, uh, somebody with a good eye for art. And so Johnny Carson brought out different paintings, and Vincent Price would say hmm. um, which paintings were more valuable than others. And he always got it right. He, he knew that certain paintings, even though he had never seen these before, had a higher quality, um, an artistic um quality and aesthetic that was greater or more valuable than others Hmm. Um, and that is a lot of the work of an art critic Um, I think that Hmm. art criticism can probably be uh, fairly maligned at times because it can get extremely silly Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. but uh, at its core uh, the work of a movie critic or an art critic or a a food critic is to say this is better because yeah. uh, flavors, these two flavors combined, you know, peanut butter and and pickle relish doesn't combine well. <laughs> um, but uh, this mm-hmm. this other flavor combination is really interesting to the palate yeah. and, and good. And, and so that's sort of a food example or an art example. Yeah. Um, there are there are better uh, speeches or sermons or um, buildings that are, are more interesting and more aesthetically pleasing. Um, and in our very postmodern influenced world, yeah. even saying something like that could sound a little bit offensive. Uh, I would even go so far as to say there's a lot of music, popular music that people listen to that is really not aesthetically good. Um, yeah. It might be fun. Uh, I think of a lot of country western music today um, compared even to the country music of the 1960s and 70s which was mm. actually very interesting um mm. both musically lyrically emotionally interesting yeah um compare that to what is often sort of the message of today uh, you know getting drunk with your buddies mm-hmm. and crashing your pickup truck out you know <laughs> it, it's just aesthetically lacking um and that has an effect on a person's soul to mm-hmm. consume massive amounts of junk food, um, mm. of of artistic junk food, I would say, is going to to deaden their desire for what is truly beautiful. Um, just like eating uh, physical junk food all the time will probably cause you to really not want to to taste what is was truly interesting good food. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's kind of why we're interested in this as pastors and. 
Um, this yeah. is a bit of a prelude, I think, to a sermon that I will eventually preach. Um, <laughs> and uh, Taster. It, well, the, the reason that I, I want to preach about this is that Christians, we are heading into a an era of um, Western history where um, we are going to need to be sustained by many things, not just truth, but I would also say beauty. Hmm. And so... Um, for for the Christian to be thinking about what is beautiful, uh, refining our tastes, you might mm. say, um, setting aside, like Paul says to do in Philippians 4, verse 8, set aside what is impure, what is not commendable, what is not praiseworthy, um, mm. real housewives, uh, <laughs> music that is just trash, mm-hmm. um, even, even musically speaking, is, is not good. Yeah. Um, movies that are kind of just guilty pleasures it's okay to watch maybe from time to time some of these things just for some fun but if that's all we're consuming yeah we're deadening our desire for what is truly beautiful yeah maybe we should watch more Ter- terrence malick movies yeah well <laughs> so pam and i just watched a terrence malick movie of uh, a hidden life a few weeks hmm. ago i've wanted to watch that one yeah and uh it was a, a spectacularly beautiful film it was kind of an acquired taste, I would say, as well. Oh, yeah. I, I want to say it was a three-hour movie. It's almost some of his movies are like too artistic. Yeah, sometimes. and and there's a lot of like there's actually not that much dialogue mm-hmm. in it. There was a lot yeah. to think about, and there's still scenes that I'm thinking about a lot from that movie, which yeah. is sort of a sign that that it was thoughtful and, and helpful to me. But anyways, for those who are listening, a hidden life is about a man who was uh, refused to take the oath of allegiance to Hitler in Austria. Mm-hmm. So. He was an Austrian farmer and a Christian man with a, a, a beautiful family, three little girls, and um, all the the men of Austria in his age group were called to um, enlist in the army to, to report for duty, and so he did, but he refused to take the oath to Hitler during that time. So um, the whole movie is about all of the fallout um, mm-hmm. trials and things that he went through, uh, both social trials and literal trials um suffering in prison and things like that and so it's it's a very powerful moment in history and he does a really good job of showing that there's actually a lot of beauty in this man's life even mm-hmm. while he's suffering in a lot of ways so yeah it, it's a thoughtful i really want to see it i have movie. not seen it and it is quite long and uh yeah um and and, and so I guess that that leads into my next point that I think I wanted to make, which is, um, in order to to seek out beauty, I don't think a Christian needs to watch foreign films and go to art <laughs> galleries all the time. Uh, there, there's a lot of aesthetic beauty that we can fill our lives with, even here in, in Ripon. There are almond orchards surrounding mm. our town. Um, Yosemite uh, Valley is not far away. The ocean is not far away. There's mm-hmm. places in nature to experience real beauty. Um, additionally, um, maybe just putting down the phone and picking up a book of poetry or Robert Frost mm-hmm. poems. Those are very accessible. Um, mm-hmm. um, there's some poets that are more accessible than others, and you can just yeah. say, wow, this is really beautifully written. Um, and, uh, and and enjoying some some words, some art and hmm. instead of uh you know you don't have to get all highbrow about it i guess is my point um that there's a lot of accessible beauty that the lord kind of blesses us with yeah in our daily lives 
I think something you said uh, really caught my attention about how we need beauty in order to sort of give us life. I think that yeah. that's what we talked about at the beginning too with the the word anesthetic, which is something that we put in, in our bodies to numb our bodies. Some, some things that we we watch or in, appreciate uh, are, are sort of numbing to us. Yeah. And so we need good art. We need beauty in order to uh, bring life to enliven us. And I think in our world, it makes sense that so much of what we consume, I think especially of teenagers mm-hmm. and young people, so much of what we consume is just lowbrow sort of stuff. It's anesthetic. Because yeah. we live, yeah, it's anesthetic. Because we live in a sort of, you could say, disenchanted world. We live in a very materialistic, flattened universe. And mm-hmm. so why does it matter if something's beautiful? Um, and so in this world, I think, or in this time that we live, art has a unique um, power to break us out of this flattened universe. Um, so good art, art that is well done, uh, points to something else. Mm. It points to uh, a sort of transcendence. It breaks us out of this idea that all that exists is just material stuff. Um, it's just matter. And at the end of the day, the sun's going to burn out. <laughs> the earth is going to freeze over and it's all going to be done. Yeah, it's kind of a um, hyper-scientific mentality. Art shows us, as my old pastor once said, that we are more than just our molecules. Hmm. And I think sometimes today, though, some I think a lot of people love art. There's a, there is a lot of people who read modern poetry and, and stuff and we, they just read it and we listen to music often just for the pure enjoyment of it. Uh, but that enjoyment is, is sort of fetishized. Uh, we just, we like to feel as if there were something more than this material world. And it gives us a moment to pause and feel like as if this, there is more to it than this, but I'm a good materialist atheist, somebody might mm. say, so I can't really believe, but, but, the, but the fact that there is art that causes somebody to have this sort of, uh, this this tension in their mind mm. i think it, it shows people that yeah maybe there is something more to all of this than what meets the eye so art has a unique power to point us to god i think yeah. to point us uh in the right direction it's sort of a natural law sort of thing but it's pointing us toward uh, our outside of ourselves it's pointing us to the to the fact that we are we are created to enjoy something. Mm. The world is not just about information. It's not just about learning the right things, behaving the right way. The world and life existence as a human is also about enjoyment. God creates us to enjoy Him and to enjoy His world. Um, there will be times where we have to uh, reject the world. There will be times where we have to fast or to take a break from the world to to say no to things. But art shows us that enjoyment is a good thing. God has created us to enjoy. But he, what he wants is us to enjoy him in a properly ordered way above everything else in existence. And so art says something to us. The fact that we, we know something is objectively beautiful and we can sit and look at the sculpture, David, Michelangelo's David, we can sit oh, and sit and watch. Yeah. And just think about it for for 
minutes, for hours, points us as humans to the idea that there's something more here and I'm created to enjoy something. There's a famous John Piper quote that, that comes to mind here. I don't know the exact quote, but he's talking about the human desire to see beautiful sights such mm-hmm. as the Grand Canyon or Yosemite and how this this desire when we when we see these sorts of things he says we never we can we could tell we've never felt so small we feel like a tiny little thing in the midst of all this grandeur in front of us and yet we've never felt so alive and he he says that that's how it's supposed to be when we feel small by beholding something glorious that's that's when we often feel most alive and that's how we're supposed to feel with god Uh, we're supposed to feel small we're supposed to be in awe of god's magnificence and his glory Mm. but that is when we will feel most alive and i think that that is the essence of art art is showing us that that is to be the case and i think what you're everything you're describing too points to the aesthetic quality of the bible (laughs) as well so it's not just um experiencing god in nature but um you can know you've really encountered the word of God when you have that feeling of smallness, of humility, but also hmm. of of vibrancy, of zeal to live for the yeah. Lord. So um, there's a great another great podcast called uh, The Bible is Art, and hmm. it, it talks about the construction of different stories in the Bible, hmm. and I, I really appreciate it because it's done from the perspective of a person who believes in the truth of the Bible as yeah. well as who recognizes this is an expertly written work hmm. of literary art. Yeah. Um, and so, of course, it's not all that. It's That's not the only thing that the Bible is. It's just <laughs> literature. Um, but it is great literature. Uh, I was yeah. just thinking this morning about one of the apologetic arguments that a Christian can make for our faith is um, is the quality, the literary quality even mm. of the Bible or, or even of the, the teachings of Jesus. Mm. Um, Jordan Peterson is a, is a psychologist and um, I wouldn't call him a Christian at this point, um, but he certainly appreciates many things about the scriptures. And uh, at one point he was asked in a debate, uh, do you believe in miracles? Mm. And... Uh, and his answer was an aesthetic answer. He said, um, hmm. give to Caesar what is Caesar's and give to God what is God's. That that two sentences summarizes all of the history of the world in separation of church and state, the, the particular topic. Hmm. That's a miracle. Hmm. And so he says there, there's this aesthetic, amazing quality to Jesus' statement, give to Caesar what is Caesar and to God what is God's. There's such aesthetic beauty in that statement and Jordan Peterson's eyes that it is a miraculous statement. <laughs> and so I, I don't know that I'd call it a miracle that Jesus said that, but I do think that what Peterson is pointing at is the aesthetic quality of those words is so profound that um, as Christians who encounter the words a lot, we can maybe take that for granted. Yeah. Um, additionally, I would say, all of script, all of the New Testament was written in the first century, and for an absolute explosion of visionary literature to happen in just that century, um, 
of course I believe Jesus was a literal person who said these things, but hmm. even even if one were skeptical, if Jesus actually lived and said these exact things, that person would still have to concede that something happened in the first century among fishermen and tax collectors and uh, lawyers, essentially, in, in, in Israel, that was a absolute explosion of literary quality and of aesthetic beauty in, in literature in producing the New Testament hmm. that is quite miraculous, uh, divinely inspired. Now, of course, we believe it happened because Christ came into the world and sent his spirit. Um, but I, I would hmm. say that's sort of an aesthetic argument, an aesthetic apologetic, you might say, in, in favor of the scriptures. Yeah, uh, scriptures work so well together. Uh, there, There's poetry, sort of like what yeah. Peterson says there about that, that statement, that sort of a poetic statement. Yeah. Um, I, w- I wonder if Peterson would grant that same sort of uh, kindness to to poet to, to non-inspired poetry. Yeah, you may see something that a poet has written in 300 years ago and may say that's a miracle as well. Um, Jordan Peterson, always an interesting, <laughs> yeah. an interesting thinker. But I, I think um, part <laughs> of the point of, of talking about the aesthetics of Scripture is it gives us a defense of, of the Bible in a lot of ways, maybe not one that we jump to as Christians very often. I was once talking with somebody who was accusing the Apostle Paul of just being like a woman-hating <laughs> ranter, you know, and, oh, um, I hear, this person said, I, I hear the same types of things uh, from the homeless person on a street corner. <laughs> and it, it took me aback mm-hmm. for a minute, but I said, whoa, whoa, this is the guy who wrote 1 Corinthians 13 that is quoted at every wedding. Yeah. Like, this is the guy who wrote, um, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good, yeah. right? And and so, so profound statements absolutely amazing great literature um great true statements about uh god and how the world works and mm-hmm. um f- from first chapter to last of of the book of romans it's regarded by secular people as a great work of literary art yeah um and so Christians should uh, contend, I would say, for the beauty of Scripture, mm-hmm. um, because I think that one of the, it will be attacked increasingly in coming decades. I'm sure. Yeah, I would totally agree with that. I think that that should be that should be an apologetic for the veracity of Scripture. Yeah, it may not be very convincing to to the to the watching world. I can remember a conversation I once got in with a with a Muslim girl at a coffee shop back when I was in seminary and she was arguing for the truthfulness of the Quran because of its poet, sure. poetic perfect perfection in, sure. in her mind. And that's not exactly convincing to me, but as a Christian understanding my scriptures and knowing how perfectly it all fits, how promi- God's promises have been proven true mm-hmm. and how, how, yeah, you could think of all the different teachings about God and how God is poetically and beautifully described and how that fits with the stories, that fits with the his covenants, that fits with the teachings of the of the New Testament and the apostles. Uh you could think of Paul's ethical teachings and how beautiful those are and how man, when I f- obey the Bible, my life <laughs> 
yeah. often goes better. Life and this, becomes this beautiful. This fits, yeah. Yeah. and that's a beautiful thing. That's yeah. the that's the the aesthetics of morality that we see in our lives when we obey God's word. We can see all these things, and to to a person like me, to a Christian, that only enhances my my trust in God's word. It's, so it's an apologetic in that sense. Mm. I, I I think you could make the case to to a non-believer, but uh, yeah, it's it may not, not be only. high on yeah. my list of here's the cases I'm going to make for yeah. the truthfulness of Scripture. Uh, but that that is a an important point. God's word is beautiful, um, and so we should we should keep that in mind. Uh, I think another thing I want to say in all of this, and thinking about wh- why are we doing an episode on mm. this. Um, it's for me i i really think as i was saying earlier i think a lot about what what youth are mm-hmm. are taking in mm-hmm. the media they're taking in social media the things they're hearing and i simply think that when we have an appreciation for art even in even in the small day-to-day things of life it begins to awaken us uh, to a hunger and thirst for something better mm. um if you eat mcdonald's every day of your life for the first we'll say 15 years of your life you may think that that's just pure glorious food <laughs> um and then maybe you'll go to you know a michelin star restaurant one day you will be looking for something like that Michelin star restaurant, you will want to eat better than the McDonald's. Kind of like the C.S. Lewis cow pie and the yeah, and the, exactly uh, the mud pies and the the beach. Right? Yeah, yeah, you will yeah. know that there's something better actually than what I've, I've always appreciated. Um, and so, if you if you're watching The Simpsons and you think that's just the essence of art, of, that's high <laughs> art, and then you you watch a movie that's just ob- objectively more beautiful, you may begin to realize, oh, there's there's better things, and so. I think our tastes can change. Um, our tastes and appreciation for things can ch- can change, um, and so mm. this this makes us want to read better books, or it makes us want to watch better movies. It makes us want to read better poetry. We have, and then we can realize over time, oh, this is this is not a great movie just mm. aesthetically, and this is. And I think as we learn to do to do that. Um, as we learn to appreciate art, we can be better able to appreciate God's word. We can be better able to appreciate our faith, to the to appreciate the beauty of the Christian faith, and how when it's lived out properly, there is a certain fittingness to it. Um, it makes sense of our world, and that's a beautiful thing. And so, when we we learn to have better tastes and to, we learn to appreciate things we don't currently appreciate. I think it expands our heart's mm-hmm. capacity to love God even more, mm-hmm. to really enjoy things more than we do currently. So, yeah, the, the C.S. Lewis reference to the mud pies in the slums versus making sandcastles at the holiday or at the sea on holiday—that is a—that's a good picture of of a, learning to appreciate things. And I hope that any young people listening to this would begin to see that appreciating the world enjoying the world is a good thing because it it's, that should be drawing me to god and to his glory and so take this and run with it and yeah. be learn to enjoy better things than what you currently enjoy and uh, for our purposes thinking about church um 
and the importance of beauty in church. Uh, there are many applications, of course. Uh, I think one of the ones that I go to pretty quickly is thinking about preaching and uh, rhetoric. Hmm. There, there being a a way of talking that is more helpful, more intentional, more careful, and uh, certainly there being an an aesthetically unpleasing yeah. um, way of preaching as well. Um, mm-hmm. I, before we were getting started, I uh, was telling Zach about our experience at church, and uh, we were on vacation this past Sunday, and uh, we went to a church, and the, the preacher probably 10 or 12 times in the sermon said, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, uh, you know, was, oh, man, you know, I, I was doing this one thing, and oh my gosh, it was just like amazing. And and then hmm. I I was mentioning how that was very uh, lacking I would say in aesthetic quality, hmm. N- not that we need to be really highbrow and and I actually have more of a distaste as well for yeah. the very polished wordsmithy types yeah. of sermons. Yeah. Um, that's the type of preaching that is very much encouraged in the the upper levels of the Christian Reformed mm-hmm. Church, um, but. But to, to craft words and mm. to have that be um, a part of a sermon um, is important. I, at times when I'm preaching, I'm sure you've experienced this too, Zach, um, there's a sentence that just really nails it. Hmm. And you can sense when that happens when preaching. And yeah. part of the reason for that is, of course, the Spirit is working. But maybe a, another part of the reason is aesthetic quality of, mm-hmm. of those words. Um, that flow with and express an idea in a really helpful and profound and even beautiful hmm. way. So, um, yeah, that that is part of the goal I think of the preacher is is not just to communicate the word, um, but to do so in the best way that we can, um, with power, with beauty, with um, some artistic. Um, I wouldn't say interpretation, but em- emphasis on. Um, Emphasis on what uh, what will be most helpful <laughs> for helping these people see the beauty of of Christ or the beauty of of the Word here. Yeah. Um, so I, I think uh, I, I'm often left hearing megachurch sermons, um, thinking, "Yeah, that was that was all pretty true, but it <laughs> was so colloquial and uh, s- at such a low level that it, it really lacked." the aesthetic quality that hmm. I would hope to gain from a sermon. Yeah. So there's something I would say about reverence yeah. in a sermon or seriousness, maybe not reverence per se, but gravity, solemnness, solemnness to a yep. sermon. Uh, again, we, as we've said before, this isn't to say that you can't have some jovial moments in a sermon or right. some even moments where there might be, might be a laugh, but there should be something that, there, that there's a weightiness to it. It doesn't need to be a poetic sermon, right. per se. Um, although maybe poetry is is fitting in certain sermons, uh, but there should be a sort of seriousness to it. And seriousness, beauty is often a, a serious thing. It's not always entirely serious, but yeah i get what you're saying with with that sermon and song uh, lyrics and, and hymns yeah same kind of thing there are qualitatively better songs mm-hmm. um now when when we sing 
praise songs from the 90s and early 2000s, yeah. we, we now recognize with hindsight, those were not aesthetically good lyrics that we were singing. Mm-hmm. Um, some of them are actually just silly. And uh, <clears throat> that's part of the reason that, that I value hymns is it is often the case that good hymns, uh, aesthetically good hymns, beautiful lyrics have sort of sifted through the time uh, to get to where we are today so that now what Mm -hmm. we have in our hymn books are often Mm -hmm. really good, really good words. Um, And maybe we'll still even discover old hymns that are helpful for today or write new things that are very good for today. But um, it it should matter that a, the words Mm -hmm. of a hymn resonate deeply and are beautiful with the people who are singing. That's the sort of that's one of the points we would say of aesthetics yeah. is to bring truth to the heart, mm-hmm. uh, not just truth to the mind, but truth to the heart. And that's that's why often it's hymns, older hymns that do this. We don't like old hymns because they're old. I think Mark and I both like hymns because they are truthful and beautiful, and that beauty helps the truth to penetrate to our hearts, so that we not only think good thoughts but feel feel them in our in our bones um and i think that that's all part of the the utility of of beauty yeah we've used i know this example before on the podcast this uh, line from just as i am um this hymn great old hymn um fightings and fears within without O lamb of god i come <laughs> you know fightings and fears within without that's uh, five words. And mm-hmm. in those five words, a lot like Jordan Peterson's response to, to yeah. Jesus with the Caesar thing, um, th- in five words, you capture so much profound truth. Hmm. Fightings, I have fightings and fears both within and coming from outside of me that, uh, that all of it prompts me to come to, to Christ. Hmm. And so fightings and fears within without is such a great aesthetically excellent line that yeah. um it, it's on the forefront of my mind after after i leave mm-hmm. church that day it sticks with me i think that that's maybe another one of the the good things about aesthetics is that um, what is mm-hmm. um what is not good uh bounces off mm-hmm. uh and what is aesthetically good i think the lord often fastens to our heart and to our mind um, a turn of phrase that we found really helpful a poem um like one of my favorites, Jesus of the Scars, which talks about the humility mm. of Christ. Mm-hmm. Um, that sticks with me in my mind. And um, I, th- I think that the reason is it is just better. Those yeah. word, that collection of words are better than some other, uh, some song lyric or something that yeah. just has, has evaporated from my consciousness. Here's a question for you. Maybe we can toss this around a little bit. Is the purpose of aesthetics merely their utility, mm. um, their usefulness? What I just said a few moments ago would make maybe somebody think that, but um, yeah, what do you think? Do we do we want to have good aesthetics merely because they help convey the truth, or is there some something inherently good about about beauty that? Yeah, beyond its utility, of yeah. in and of itself, it, yeah. is, it can be good. I think that's why artists paint and poets mm-hmm. write and 
I hope that that's often even why my preachers preach is that that there is something good in the activity in and of mm-hmm. itself. Um, I, I heard a story once of uh, somebody traveling through Italy and uh, stepped into a little chapel and there was no one else there. It wasn't <laughs> a tourist chapel, um, but there was no one else around. And uh, there was a priest, though, sitting at the front by himself. <laughs> and it was going to be time for a worship service to start. And there was the priest obviously didn't know if anybody was there. Um, and uh, and got up, and there was no accompanist even, <laughs> and so he started a music music on a CD player in this beautiful little chapel, <laughs> and uh, the person who I heard uh, experiencing this realized it wasn't done for the people; it was done because God is there. Yeah, and so that's why the worship happened, <laughs> and I think that gets to your question about the utility of aesthetics. Mm-hmm. Um, that hopefully a sermon can be crafted first for God mm-hmm. and just sort of offered up hopefully as a pleasing aroma mm-hmm. to him, um, that prayers can be done well for the Lord as, as a sacrifice to him or music can be done well for him outside of the human utility, but, mm-hmm. but hopefully first for the, the, the offertory of it. Hmm. Yeah. I think there's, there's often a utility to beauty. Yeah. Um, so having like the, what was the poem you mentioned? Uh, Jesus of the scars. Jesus of the scars. Yep. Um, the utility there is that the poetic language helps you remember it and it sticks with you. Yeah, and it's teaching you something about the atonement. and yeah, Right. Right. But it's also there is, I would say that there's a, an objective value just to the beauty itself. Mm-hmm. That if it was said differently, if those same, if the same sort of ideas were communicated in a different way, it may not be as an enjoyable as enjoyable as a poem as it could have been, um, and so I would say it's not merely the utility. It's it's right I would say to enjoy the the beauty of the mm-hmm. poem mm-hmm. as also in in addition to the utility of of its beauty. Maybe this is a little bit too nitpicky of a <laughs> of a thought experiment, but it's just something that's been been rattling around in my head for the past sev- several minutes now. So. Yeah. No, I thought we'd get it out. <laughs> well, it's good. Um, and as we shift maybe into closing, um, I do think that we need to continue as Christians to look forward. How are we going to live and enjoy life in a world that is increasingly opposed to, hmm. in a nation, in a state of California, that is increasingly opposed to the Word of God, the hmm. Christian life, uh, real Christian holiness, and so forth. I think that um, just pure <laughs> willpower to power through and live for the Lord, that's, that's part of it. But hmm. God also, uh, Christ has come so that we might have life and have it to the full. And so hmm. we would enjoy moments of beauty in our lives. And, and yeah. I think that as Christians, we would um, first see that glory in, in Christ, see it in his word, but he also gives us eyes to see really beautiful things in our world as mm. well that will encourage us so that we're, we don't live with this martyr complex that yeah. a lot of Christians are starting to develop. Yeah. Um, oh, wow, the, the world's just <laughs> against us. Either, either I'm getting out of California or I'm just going to grumble about it because this is not the state that I was raised in. You know, like mm-hmm. that sort of attitude. I feel kind of sorry for those people, and I, I would hope that they would 
maybe let go of some of those um, aesthetically lacking <laughs> sources that are kind of encouraging them to think that way yeah. and, and develop more of a love for literature, more of a love for art, um, go out in nature, hmm. um, experience um, something as simple as a sunset or uh, of a love song. Uh, this doesn't, uh, maybe one <laughs> sub, sub note under this is, I don't think everything that is beautiful is explicitly Christian Correct. Um, th- that's one thing that we should probably mention as well. There, <laughs> there are many. It's a good point to make. Be- like thinking again of a love song. Okay, um, the Righteous Brothers, uh, mm-hmm. Unchained Melody. It's a spectacularly beautiful pop song from I think the '60s, and mm. it is stirring to your soul to hear this song of a man who misses his his love, and she's she's away, and he wants to be with her. Mm. Um, that's a good thing to behold and to to think about and it might make you love your spouse even more um and so there's there's beauty in all all kinds of different places and it doesn't just mean that Hmm. um i think the christian uh temptation is to sort of retreat into just christianness (laughs) um like we're just going to watch christian movies which often are not aesthetically good Uh, yeah (laughs) um, or just listen to christian music which again is aesthetically lacking very Mm -hmm. often um i would say Christians up your game in movie and music, please. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but but also Christians um, seek out what is beautiful and what is mm-hmm. truly good according to God's word um, in in the world as well. To some extent, um, I think mm-hmm. that we can go out and enjoy those things instead of just thinking, "Oh, well, woe is me. The world's against me, and so I'm just going to hunker down and and be grumpy." Yeah, I, I think that that sort of grumpiness, people people catch that. And that's not a good apologetic either. So I think <laughs> yeah. a related sort of tangential thing we could think about, just wrapping up, I know, but if people perceive that you are unhappy and you lack joy, that's not going to be a, a great apologetic. And I think, I think people, I think the world would be a better place if Christians were showing and living the joy of their faith. I think if we were to show the moral beauty and goodness um, of our faith, people people think Christianity is a very repressive sort of system of living. Uh, they, they see it as being a joyless sort of thing. We're just a bunch of buzzkills, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but if they see Christians actually enjoying and living in harmony with each other because they're obeying God's word, I think in in a place like California where we live, mm. that that is a powerful apologetic. Um, if we were known for our love, if we were known for our goodness, if we were known for our joy. The beauty of our families. The beauty of, of our families. If, yeah. if people could see husbands sacrificing yeah. their lives for their wives and for their kids, and if they could see humble and beautiful submission of wives um, and there, where there was joy and flourishing for the family, for the couple, um, maybe that would cause people to wonder what's going on there. The beauty of children obeying their parents like, and yeah. loving to respect their parents. Yeah. That will be absolutely mind-blowing, I think, to a lot of people who see ugliness in parent-children relationships. Oh, yeah, for yeah. sure. Yeah. Um, I think the world would be a little bit, I wouldn't say that there would be a a mass revolution towards Christianity. (laughs) Maybe, maybe there would be some sort of revival. Um, but are we, are we good? This goes back to your sermon on goodness, uh, the fruit of the spirit. Um, 
if we're if we're good and we're showing people that there is there is a goodness here and there's a beauty to this um i think that would be a powerful powerful thing for our world yeah are we building good things do we care about beauty um that's really the whole point of this podcast and so um seek out uh what is beautiful what is uh, just what paul said what is praiseworthy what is true what is noble what is pure Hmm. um and uh there's a blessing that comes in that, uh, not just the immediate blessing, but the the blessing of more of a desire to uh, to find really beautiful, good things in this world because it's full of them. So uh, thank you for listening, everyone. And uh, we thank you also for your patience in waiting for this episode. We, <laughs> we plan to release episodes every Tuesday, and I think we're going to get back on track um, both of us are done with vacation yeah. for the had for a little summer. blip. <laughs> yeah, so um, hopefully each Tuesday morning there will be a podcast available. But mm-hmm. until then, uh, thanks for listening to this one and have a great week. Yep, grace and peace, you guys.